good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And if you put a 225 in front of that, you can reach us from anywhere in the continental United States. There you go. And just that easy. That's it. Yeah, a lot of times folks say, well, you know, I listen to you on iTunes or I listen to you on Stitcher or any of the other podcast services. And that's great. We really appreciate you listening. But you can also go on, say, iHeart or one of those and get a live feed. There you go. And just in case you can't figure out how to do that, if you go to our website, if you click on podcast, you're going to see a little stopwatch. Uh-huh. And that stopwatch runs 24-7. <laughs> that's that's it's it. It's always counting down the time to the next automotive hour, and that's accurate pretty much anywhere in the world uh-huh. because it adjusts for time zones and all that stuff. Boy, isn't that convenient? It is. All you have to do is click on the face of that little watch one hour before the show goes in the air. Right. And it'll put you to a live feed on iHeart. So and that way you can... You can listen live. That's right. Maybe even give us a call. That's right. If you happen to click on it more than an hour, it's just going to tell you this is available one hour before showtime. <laughs> <laughs> in kind of a little smart aleck condescending way uh-huh. <laughs> not really no but if you click on that that will bring you to a live feed so you can listen to us live that way you can call in the show and get your questions answered and, and maybe draw a free agco t-shirt well, that's right if you're calling from out of state we'll get an agco t-shirt sent out to you so you just let the producer know where you're calling from and that's the way that works there you go and we're going our phone lines with al good morning al good morning man appreciate yes, your program thanks sir I've got a question, probably a little too much for, but anyhow, okay. I'll get it a try. Sure. I just rebuilt a 1946 Jeep engine. Okay. An old four-cylinder flathead engine, about, yes, as, about as basic as you can get. I'm pretty familiar with those. Oh, yeah? Good. Mm-hmm. And I've always gone by the old adage that for an engine to run, all you got to have are three things, that's fuel, timing, and spark. I've got all three. And compression. <laughs> and compression. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I've, you might have answered my question before I asked you. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, basically, you have to have fuel, you have to have spark, you have to have compression, and you have to have timing. In other words, they all have to occur at the proper time. But if you don't have compression to squeeze the fuel air into an explosive mixture, then it's not going to fire off. And if you got low enough compression, it's not going to fire off. Well, I hadn't I hadn't run a compression test. I have held my hand over the spark plug hose, uh-huh. and I've got compression on it. Well, but how much? So I don't know. You're going to need, even on that old engine, it didn't need a whole lot, but you could probably need a minimum of about 70 or 80 pounds just to start. Most newer engines are going to have 170 or so, but probably 70, 80 pounds minimum just to start. Anything below that, it's just not going to fire off. Okay. It's not squeezing the fuel air enough to make it explosive. So uh-huh. you got fuel there, you got air there, but it's not atomized because it's not under yeah. enough pressure. Yeah. And when the spark fires, it'll kind of maybe try to do something, but it's not going to really start a run. Uh-huh. Well, now you go check the compression. Yeah, then. check that. And if it's off out on all of the cylinders, most likely the cam is out of time on it. Gears may not have gotten lined up exactly right or something, but if the cam timing's off, it's going to throw the compression way, way low. Because there's just not a whole lot else on that. It's a flathead engine, so you really don't have too much trouble with valves and stuff. But if the cam timing's off, your compression's going to be way off, and it's not going to start. I'm pretty sure the timing is right. But okay. anyhow, I will check the compression and see where I go from there. And oh. I appreciate your comment. Okay? All right, Al. Thanks, man. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. Why don't you go and give us a call? There's still some of them old engines out there. Oh, there's a lot of them old engines. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when I used to work in a machine shop. Every year, right around the beginning of fall, Uh just before hunting season, we would get those 
old crankshafts and engine blocks in. And it was not at all uncommon for us to have to sleeve all four cylinders right. or weld the crankshaft up completely because it had already been turned down to 60,000 below. Right. <laughs> it's been turned five times. But we would actually weld all the journals back up and then grind it back to standard, and you know, that was a way we could actually save the crankshaft. Uh-huh. Or we would sleeve all four of the cylinders. That would be a way to save the save cylinder the block. block on them. But, yeah, those were just great old design. I mean, just so robust and so simple. Right. Uh, they, they, they couldn't could just, get more simple than that. Well, you could pretty much keep that running forever right. with just a little bit of effort and a little bit of money, of course. That's the, kind of the key to everything there. <laughs> yeah, that was something you could rebuild and pretty much keep going forever. Yep. And they made great wood vehicles or uh, just all-around vehicle, pretty, really. Pretty much go any way you want to go, as long as you don't want to go more than about 45 miles an hour. There you go. <laughs> but you could get there. But you get there, that's for sure. Going back to the phone lines with David. Good morning, David. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. I have a 2007 Dodge Ram 3500 with the 6.7 Cummins. Okay. And I'm starting to hear a lot about these engines with the diesel particulate filters on them, where uh-huh. basically if you have prolonged periods of idle where fuel is getting into the oil okay and i just recently changed the oil and there was apparently a lot more fluid that came out of the engine than you know the normal three gallon okay. oil that mm-hmm. was in there yes, so, and, and oil was extremely extremely black yeah that's that's real bad david because when diesel fuel gets in oil it pretty much destroys the ability of the oil to support the loads in the engine right what happens with engine oil is that at the instant of compression, the point of contact between the bearing and the crankshaft is about two millionths of an inch wide. And the pressure on that point is hundreds of thousands of PSI. And it's so much so that the oil, for a brief second, the additives in it actually make it a solid with that much pressure on it. When you put diesel fuel in the oil, it's going to break down that ability so that the bearing is actually going to contact the crankshaft for just a split second in just a, a tiny area. But the prolonged effect is it will destroy the engine. Right. So, I mean, you can send a sample of that oil out and be sure that that is what's occurring. It's, it takes a lab to detect it because diesel fuel is so close to oil. You're not going to be able to smell it or look at it. or You, know, you can say, well, it looks like such and such. But, again, you're kind of going on conjecture. Fairly inexpensive. You go online and just type in something like oil analyzing. There's there's hundreds of labs across the country, and you take a little bottle of it, send it to them, and I don't know, $10, $12, they'll analyze it, tell you what's in it. That would be a real wise precaution because if that is occurring, you're going to need to do something about that, You know, be it not idle as much or whatever you have to do, but that's going to destroy that engine over time. Okay. So there's no solution to it other than just trying to – cut down on the amount of time that the engine's idling well again you'd have to number one make sure that is what's occurring and then you'd have to start looking at the reasons why it's occurring and i'm not that familiar with that engine because it hasn't been out very long but i would certainly say prolonged idle time is most likely one of the contributing factors before i went to a whole whole lot of trouble i'd make sure that is occurring okay and you know from there then we can look at reasons why and things we could do and all that kind of stuff but if that's occurring that's going to be a real real big problem now it's also possible that some coolant could be getting into the oil, which will yeah. look about the same. So a lab can tell you that as well. Hey, there's glycol in here, which, right. again, will destroy the engine. So you need to kind of find that out. That's real easy. I know it's people don't want to do it. Eh, it sounds like a lot of trouble. No, it's really not. Just take a little sample, send it off, and within about a couple of days, you'll get a report back. It'll tell you exactly what's in there. Then you know what you got to do. Okay. All righty. All right. Thank you. Hey, thank you, man. Bye-bye. Alright, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I we'd love to have you. And we're going to our line with Bill. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. 
I've got a 2003 Silverado one ton. Okay. Got two tanks. Uh-huh. And my gas light empty. It's been on, and it doesn't move whenever I fill the tank up. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Is that on both tanks or on one tank? I don't know. It's just on my gauge. It's E through F, you know. Uh-huh. And it get, when it gets, I don't have two different gauges, but it just. Yeah, uh, but if you switch to either tank, it does the same thing. I don't switch it. it it's automatic. It okay, it's got feeds, automatic switching. I see. I see. What you're Bill, that's going to be the fuel sender unit, which is inside the tank, and you gave it away when you you said the light comes on as well, low fuel yeah. light. See, yeah. there's going to be two possibilities, or three possibilities. One is the fuel sender unit, two is the gauge and the dash is bad, and three is the wire between it's broken. The thing that kind of gives it away is that the light on the dash reads off the fuel sender unit. It doesn't care what the, the gas does. In other words, the dash gauge could go out, that light still wouldn't come on because it would still be reading the fuel sender unit. Okay. So you're either going to be into the fuel sender unit or the wire that drives it has broken or gotten cut or so on and so forth. The next step would be to hook up OBD2 scan tool. You can actually read what the sender unit is reading and see uh-huh. if you're getting any reading at all. If you're getting any reading at all, then you know it's the, the, the unit in the tank. If you're getting zero, then you have to go back to the tank, pull the wire, and ohm the wire out and see if you've got a broken wire. But if it's okay. getting a light on, it's not getting a signal from the back. Okay. Probably going to be the sender unit in the tank. Okay. The only time the needle moves is if I'm turning the key on and it'll bump up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's a right gauge check. Down. When you cycle your ignition, it's going to swing the gauges over just to tell you the gauges are working. Okay. It overrides the tank sender at that point. But if you'll notice, all the gauges are going to kind of jump a little bit when you cycle your ignition. It's just a gauge check. So I have to remove the tank? Well, no, you don't have to remove the tank. What you have to do is get a scan tool, number one, to see if you're getting a reading at all. If you're not getting uh-huh. a reading, then you have to go to the back and get a like an ohmmeter or something and test the wire. If you got a wire that's good all the way up, then it's going to be inside the tank. So that's kind okay. of that's the biggest part of the job is removing the tank, so that's the last thing you want to do. Great. All righty. I appreciate it. Hey, Bill, where are you calling from? Birmingham. All right. All right. Alabama. Go Tide. <laughs> well, well, okay. I'm a customer of yours. I live in Baton Rouge. I'm coming back in this truck from Pittsburgh. All right. All right. <laughs> well, you you get all over the place, don't you? <laughs> That's right. All right, Bill, hang on. I'm going to put you on hold, and they're going to get your name and your size preference and so on. I'll get an Agco T-shirt out to you. Great. Thanks. Hold on, man. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And let's see, we've got Fred's been patiently holding. Good morning, Fred. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Good morning to you. Look, appreciate all your help. Thanks, um, sir. Got a 96 Blazer. Mm-hmm. The check engine light just came on yesterday. Okay. And it's throwing out two codes that are indicating the random multiple cylinder misfire. Okay. Along with CMP sensor circuit. And, you know, from looking at that kind of stuff, it looks like, as you say on your show most of the time, it could be a plethora of things. It could be, yes, sir. And I would go after the misfire code first because a camshaft code can be set by a misfire. Okay. You know, if you've got enough misfires, it's not going to see the camshaft or it's not going to know the camshaft sinking with the crankshaft. So the misfire codes could set the camshaft code. So it doesn't necessarily mean it could be two separate problems. could even be that the cam code is setting the misfires, but I would go after the misfires first. And if it's a misfire that's peculiar to any one or multiple cylinders, then that is one particular set of circumstances. If the misfire are general, in other words, they're on all the cylinders fairly equally, well, then that's going to be a different set of circumstances. 
And I've got two articles on my website. One is tracking multiple misfires. The other is tracking a particular misfire. And if you go read through both of those articles, it's going to tell you all the things to check, how to check them, and so on and so forth. Basically, if you got a single cylinder misfire or one cylinder or two cylinders that are misfiring, the easiest thing for a do-it-yourself to do is start swapping parts. Take the plug out of that cylinder, move it to the cylinder that's not missing. Take the wire off that cylinder, move it to the wire that's not missing, and so on and so forth until he isolates what affects the misfire. Now, if it's missing on all the cylinders pretty equally, forget about the plugs, forget about the wires, forget about anything that has an independent cylinder associated with it. Now you're more into something like map sensor or something like that that affects all the cylinders equally. So that's the thing you need to find out is if you got just a general misfire on all cylinders or if there's one or more cylinders that are misfiring regularly, then read those articles, and that's going to point you right in the right direction. Okay. Yeah, this is something that it runs fine. And mm-hmm. idle and everything, and it just started yesterday, and if you get up to about 65, mm-hmm. it'll be running smooth, and then all of a sudden it'll stumble. Run smooth, it'll stumble. Sometimes you can get down on it. It'll accelerate, clear up through, you know, 80, no uh-huh. problem. Uh-huh. Other, another time you'll go to get, get on it a little bit, and all of a sudden it, it lags like it's not getting gas or it's not getting getting fire. Yeah, that could be a map sensor going bad, or it could be a cam sensor can cause that problem. You're just going to need to go in and find out exactly what code you got, or if you don't have the wherewithal, just bring it to somebody who can test that for you. You know, the next thing we would also check is the fuel pressure, and we'd also check what they call fuel trim, mm-hmm. because fuel trim is going to tell you if it's running low on fuel or if it's getting too much fuel, okay. which if it's misfiring, it's going to get too much fuel because it's not burning. If it's running low on fuel, then we're looking at something else. So, there's a few things you can do yourself. Read those two articles and see what you can do. Beyond that, it's going to have to get to someone who has the equipment to test it. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. I, mm-hmm. I you know, was getting the code P300 and P340. and then That's kind of know, a starting point, but it really yeah. doesn't give you enough to, to really go And then it gives on. you about 150 things that that's right. be. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> right. But it's right, Fred. only be happening at a high speed. You know? Yeah. All right, Fred. Appreciate All right, it, man. Look, thanks for your help. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. All right, one quick little break. and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Warren and John, hang on. Be straight up after the break. It winds from Chicago. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvin with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, if you're to try to answer any automotive questions you might have, and John's been patiently holding. Good morning, John. Good morning. I appreciate your show and Thanks, the information sir. that you hand out over the radio. The question I have, I have a, a 2006 Mercury Mountaineer okay. that I've been changing the oil on regularly. Yes, sir. And each time I place the oil, I reset my oil life counter. Yes, sir. And the last couple of times that I've done it, it's like it doesn't reset and checked it out. I, I replaced my filter and such. I, you know, mm-hmm. I wiped down the area. I'm not really sure where the oil change sensor might be. 
Well, it's not a sensor. Oh, John, no, sir, not at all. It is reading off of just a number of parameters, such as the amount of time that has passed, the amount of load on the engine, and so on and so forth. It's being calculated by the body control module. Oh, okay. Because I, you know, what I've tried, when I start the engine up mm-hmm. and it goes through its startup yes, procedure sir. and information mm-hmm. on the small uh, digitizer, it, it then comes up in yellow uh, statement stating that oil change is required. Yes, sir. And hit the reset button and it clears. But like I say, after changing it the last time, I, I made sure I followed the procedure for resetting it to mm-hmm. 100% oil mm-hmm. life. Yes, sir. Did it show to be reset, or do you have the ability to see that? Pardon me? Well, no, it doesn't show it being yeah. reset, but it just says, well, I mean, it it does say set to 100% life. Right. And I would uh, just and need then, to see it, John. It could be something as simple as the reset button is not working properly and it's not resetting. But, but yet when I hit the reset button... Mm-hmm. After the the initial message, mm-hmm. it does clear. Yeah, I just have to see it. I'm not certain. It oh, okay. could be too that there's a there may be a flash update available for that. I'd have to check service bulletins on it. Oh, okay. That sounds almost like a software issue because that's a 100% software operated system. Yeah. There is no yeah. sensor or anything per se. Oh, okay. It's yeah. Just looking at time that has passed. Just looking at the load on the engine and so on, and it's calculating. Okay. Uh, is that something that I would have to go to the the Mercury? No, absolutely field? not. Nope. Oh, no. No, sir, not at all. We can check all that, and I can even update the computer if there is an update available for it. But, you know, beyond that, me personally, I hate those. They never really work right. I just go by the way I drive the car and the amount of miles that are passing at a time. Yeah, exactly. I I do, too. I keep, like, a a log. That's perfect. Yes, sir. But concerns you, you can send me an email on the website, and I'll look and see if there are any service bulletins for that. It's possible there's a firmware update that may address that. Beyond that, it would be a malfunction somewhere in the body module or the instrument panel cluster. Okay, and you say that's something that you're... Service- we can do that, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Oh, okay. oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah. Okay, well, let me uh, let me give you a call, and uh, I'll see about bringing it okay. by. Sounds great. Okay, could I get the phone number or just look it up? Or- yeah, just go to my website. It's agcoauto.com, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Okay, thank you. All thank right, you thanks, very John. much. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm, bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Warren on the line. Good morning, Warren. Uh, good morning, guys. Yes, sir. I have a 2011 Kia Sedona with the V6. Okay. And the problem I have is a stop, starting from a stop sign or a light or something, mm-hmm. you know, push down on the accelerator, and it has like a lag or hesitation. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And you okay. push a little more, then all of a sudden Goes. it catches. Mm-hmm. And you... Yeah, kind of like a bog down. Yeah. Feels almost like an old carburetor with a bad accelerator pump. Something like that. <laughs> Warren, I can tell you there's a number of things that can cause that, but most of the time, that's a dirty airflow meter. Okay. okay? The airflow meter is the part in the air horn just after the, the air box, before the throttle body or before the engine, and it meters the amount of air running into the engine. And what happens, particularly if you use a non-original equipment air filter, like if you get an air filter at a parts store or a car wash or whatever you put in there, Let's a little bit too much dirt get through, and that dirt gets on that little wire inside that airflow meter, and it starts to make it read improperly. So that when you first tip into the accelerator, it's not going to know. It's going to lean out, and it's going to bog down. The, almost the second that it does, the oxygen sensor is going to say, hey, we're too lean, and they're going to override, and they're going to rush the mixture up. So that's why it kind of goes away after it's a split second. But most of the time, that is the case. And what Kia and everybody else says, hey, you got to change the airflow meter. But I'm going to tell you, those are very expensive. I have had pretty good luck cleaning them, but you got to be very, very careful doing it because you can damage it if you do it improperly. 
But we generally clean the airflow meter, and most of the time that takes care of the problem. Now, beyond that, there are several other mechanical problems that could cause it, but i got to say that fixes about 75% of them. Okay, thank you. All righty. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. You've been... If you're only part of the automotive iron, I see our phones are ringing and not ringing. If we're having phone trouble, just keep on calling in. We'll sure get to you there as quick as we can. That's right. And should you happen not to get in today and get your questions answered today on the radio, you can always Mm -hmm. go to the website and send us an email and get your questions answered that way. That's right. The address is www.agcoauto.com. You can take the acronym Altazan's Garage Company. Mm -hmm. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. That'll get you to the site. Contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if you'd like, and get it back within 24 hours. That's right, and be glad to answer to any question you might have. While you're on there, peruse around, take a look at the detailed topics. Put one on there this morning on why a car would continue to pull after it's aligned. Uh-huh. And I know that's something you know a lot about. It is. There's <laughs> several factors there that many, many, many people come in seeking a wheel alignment who don't really need a wheel alignment at all. Exactly. They have other problems with the car. And this article is going to go into depth on what things can cause that and why you need to check some of these things before you go in and just ask for an alignment. Right. You should never go in and ask for a service. That's right, because you're going to end up losing a whole bunch of money and and, and a whole bunch of frustration as well. We've got to take one more quick little break. David and Richard, hang on. You guys will be straight up after the break. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities in rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flaves, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boos off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for 500 bucks and give them a lousy job. Listen to me and take your vehicle to Agco where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Please join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, any questions you might have, why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526, and we would love to talk to you. we got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning, Lewis. How are you and Terry doing? Doing great, Good sir. morning. Hey, I've got a generic question about gasoline engines. Now, okay. I'm in my mid-50s. Mm-hmm. So you could say I'm a little old school. Okay. Something I've noticed over the last several years is I see people at places, and they just sit in their vehicles and they let it idle. You know, soccer practice, softball practice, just insert name here. And when I was young, I was just grew up with this concept that you never did that to, to engines. Mm-hmm. If you can just give me some general feedback, good, bad. David, idling is the least efficient way an engine can run. In other words, an engine has to run at idle, obviously, because when you come to a red light, it's not practical to shut it off every time, although that is basically what a hybrid does. A hybrid shuts off at idle and just runs off the battery, and that's one of the ways that it saves gas. Idling is by far the least efficient time for the engine. It's not atomizing the fuel as well. The emissions are way higher. It's just a horrible, horrible state for it to have to run in. So idling should best be kept to a minimum. Now, 
clearly you're driving along, you come to a red light, you're not going to shut the ignition off and restart because the wear and tear on the starter will be more than you're going to save. But, yeah, you had soccer practice or you're in line and you're sitting still for 10 minutes, shut it off. That is actually the worst thing you can do is let it sit there and idle. I always come from the old school. I watch the, the coolant temperature. And when the coolant temperature starts coming up, I shut the engine off. Yeah, oh, yeah. It just – there's no reason to let it well, sit you, there and you're idle. you're burning a whole lot of gas for absolutely no reason. You're contaminating the oil. It's not very efficient. It's just – you can only optimize an engine over a very narrow range of RPM. And that's why they're coming out with all these 6-speed, 8-speed, 10-speed transmissions, try to keep the engine in that range as much as they possibly can. So clearly at an idle, you know we're close to that range because the range is going to be up around 1,200 RPM somewhere. But when you're sitting at an idle at 550, 600, it is running at probably just about its worst. It's burning the most fuel. It's producing the most emissions. It's getting the most wear and tear that it's going to get. So, uh oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. But yeah, that's probably something you do not want to do. Always shut it off. Yeah, so it's fair to say that it's unnecessary wear and tear and it will eventually. It's going to eventually cause you problems, and it's also going to strain your air conditioning system because you're not getting the airflow through the condenser that you should, so the head pressure is real high. It's hard on the AC. The transmission sitting there and torque converters just slipping. Yeah, it's just not a real efficient time for anything, not something you want to prolong longer than you have to. Now, obviously, if you have to, you have to, but yeah. you, you want to keep it to a minimum. All right. I mean, uh, the old school concepts aren't so bad after all. Well, most of the old school stuff is. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Look, thanks for the info. All right, Dave. All right, sir. Thanks, man. Have a good weekend. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. Four nine 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 five two six. Number. If you want to be part of the automotive, right, we'd love to have you. I noticed we had a few calls dropped. If you guys call back, we got our lines wide open and cleared up. We should be able to get you right on up to the top of the list and get your questions answered. There's a little bit of phone trouble here, but I think we got it straightened out yeah, now. Yeah, I'm hoping so. You know, we were talking just a little bit before the break about the detailed topic this uh-huh. week is on the things that cause a car to pull other than alignment. And many, many times folks will say, well, my car is pulling the alignment. Uh-huh. And that is one of the things that can cause that. Right. But there are a list of things, and I didn't list every single one, but I list certainly the most popular or most common ones. First off, of course, if you want to check, make sure you got the right amount of air in all four tires. Mm-hmm. And with a car with a short wheelbase, like a small car or a sports car, even a low rear tire can cause the car to pull. Exactly. We've seen it before. Mm-hmm. When the car leans, because the tire's low, the car's going to start to lean. That changes what they call camber. And the camera is going to go positive on the side that's leaning down or the side with low tire. So that's going to pull you in that direction. And then the low tire is also going to drag more because it doesn't turn as freely. And that's going to pull you in that direction. Right. So you get a double whammy. And generally what you will notice with a tire that's low is that the faster you drive, the harder it's going to pull. And that's true with most tire-related pulls. An alignment pull, a true alignment pull, is generally going to be about the same at 20 miles an hour or at 60 miles an hour because the alignment's always off the same amount. Uh-huh. It doesn't change at speed. Right. But a low tire does. Yeah. The low tire, the faster you turn it, the harder it's going to pull. Now, beyond that, there's a ton of other things. And I get into some things you may or may not have ever heard of. One is what they call a torque steer, and that's where it pulls when you accelerate. And we're talking about a front-wheel drive vehicle. Front-wheel drive vehicle. I've even seen it on rear-wheel drive vehicles. Very rarely. but Yeah, rarely, but you can see it sometimes. Particularly something that had rear control arms with a control arm shift, which changes the thrust angle of the vehicle. Right. That will cause the torque steer in the rear. And... Beyond that, things like what we call memory steer, 
which is something a lot of people haven't heard or at least hadn't heard it described that way. But what a memory steer is, is the vehicle remembers the direction you turned last. In other words, if you make a hard U-turn to the left, it kind of starts pulling to the left. Right. And then you make a hard U-turn to the right, and it starts pulling to the right. Right. And there's several things that can contribute to that. That's a fact. One, say a front-wheel drive car, the strut has to turn independently from the body. That's right. So there's a bearing on top that Mm -hmm. allows it to do that, and that bearing will bind up sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. And we'll cause that what we call a memory steer. Yeah, when the bearing binds, what happens is that the spring starts to turn, and it actually has to wind up a little bit before it moves the bearing because the bearing is dragging. Uh huh. So it kind of winds up, pops, winds up, pops, winds up, pops. Well, when you turn it back, it does the same thing. It unwinds, pops, unwinds, pops. Well, that last little pop doesn't quite make it. So right. the spring is still wound just a bit in that direction, so it just keeps pulling the wheel back that way. Exactly. can be the devil of fine. I've seen people spend thousands, literally thousands of dollars trying to fix yeah. that problem. Of course, we tend to spot those sorts of things, being a suspension specialist, and you know, I know that's the work that you've always done. And, right. That's, and me, myself, when I was in the shop. That is part of the test drive. Right. That There's, was sort of second nature to us. Yeah. But a person who has not ever encountered that, that can be very, very hard to diagnose. They may not even realize what's happening. All they know is the car is pulling. Right. And they don't realize, well, sometimes it pulls left, sometimes it pulls right. And see, that's another dead giveaway. Alignment will never pull left and right. It's It's only going to pull one way. One way or the other, because it has to be off in one direction or it has to be off in the other direction. It can't be off both ways. Right. Anything that pulls left and right is not going to be alignment, even though it feels like it is. It's going to be something else. And then you got to take into consideration your road you're driving on. Some roads have a crown to the middle. Some are crowned to the outside. Mm-hmm. Some are just wallowed out from the big trucks beating down on them. That's so right. your vehicle is not going to track straight on every road. That is correct. And if your car drives straight on most roads, but on one or two it kind of pulls, that is most likely going to be the road surface because – Roads are generally going to be crowned towards the drainage. Correct. Which in the United States is generally on the right-hand side of the road. Mm -hmm. And when a professional aligns your front end, what he does, he actually offsets slightly the caster or the camber or a little bit of both both to make the car drive straight on the majority of roads which lean to the right. Correct. However, if you get on a road where it's crowned to the center, for instance, in Baton Rouge, if you're on Highway US-61, which is Airline Highway, uh-huh. you'll notice that when they widened that down in the area by the shop, they took in the ditches on the right-hand side. They did. So they put a big ditch in the center, and they crowned the road to the left there. Right. So every car pulls slightly left in that area. And, and if that's where you drive 100% of your time yeah, and you, you want to drive, drive anywhere straight, else, we can fix that, well, too. I can fix that. But it's going to pull right everywhere else. Exactly. So, you got to be aware of the roads and the way they lean because all roads are going to crown slightly one way or the other. If they didn't, rain would just build up on the road, which would be hazardous. Exactly. So as a general rule, I think they'd slope about a half inch per foot of crown is the general amount. Some a little more, some a little less, but that's the general standard. Right. And so that weight of that car is going to want to roll downhill, and you can offset for it and make cars drive straight on most road surfaces. There is actually a stretch of road that I use to line every vehicle that comes into ADCO. Mm-hmm. And if it drives straight there, it drives straight 90% of yeah, it's Baton Rouge. A pretty flat road. Right. You can get on that and you can actually see better what it's doing. But those are just a handful of things covered in this article. Another thing is what they call power steering lead. And if you ever experience that, that can really, really throw you for a loop and that's where the little valve inside the power steering mechanism kind of hangs slightly off center 
And I've got an article on the website on how power steering works, just in case you're not aware, you can go in there and read that. But if it bleeds just a slight amount of pressure to one side or the other, it's almost like turning the wheel in that direction. Correct. And that can be very, very difficult to diagnose because the car just keeps pulling one way. Right. And it feels you, just like alignment, but and it's not. An experienced alignment tech can verify that pretty easily just doing a few tests. Right. A test drive for one, and then once you get the readings on where the alignment is actually sitting mm-hmm. you can look at those alignments and from your experience you know what it's you know to what do. it's supposed to be doing and if it's not doing that you can make a pretty subtle change or maybe even a heavy change and That's if right. it still does the same thing yeah, if it doesn't change at all right then you have eliminated alignment right because see no amount of alignment is going to overcome power steering lead correct i've even seen cars that had a conventional alignment problem and it was neglected for a number of years let's say the car was pulling to the right and it just got neglected and it did that for a number of years. And what happens when they finally do get the car aligned, it continues to pull to the right. Because what's happened is that it's had hand pressure on the steering wheel. Trying to keep it going straight. 10, 20, 30, 40,000 miles trying to make it go straight. And it's actually worn the little valve slightly off center. And now it's going to continue to pull to the right, even though the alignment's been corrected. And the only way to fix that would be to replace the rack and pinion unit or, or the steering, steering box, box or however the, the front end is set up. Yeah, depending on what type of a setup that it has. So, you know, these are just some of the things. I'll cover this article. Good, good article. Pop on there and read it. I think you'll get a whole lot of information out of that. Great. Lost money saver. Thought. There you go. <laughs> wow. Well, not only money, because you know, alignments aren't cheap, but a lot of frustration. Yeah. And a lot of shops, actually, that do wheel alignment. I saw the other day this little oil chain shop that just opened by the house and big front end alignment machine and all that stuff. Well, that's great. And I hope they got somebody that really, really knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, just because a guy has a shingle out front and says he does alignment doesn't mean they've got someone in who knows a whole lot about alignment. I see it almost every, at least once or twice a week a vehicle comes in. All the readings are in the range to where they should right, be. somewhere. But they're, what they say, they're in the green, yeah. which if it's in the range, it's in the green. Mm-hmm. Well, it could be skewed one way, but still in the range, and they can't figure out why it's still pulling. Well, that's right, because when they were trained or trained at, what happened is that someone said, well, you turn this until this turns green, then it's aligned. Exactly. And they don't really understand what the numbers mean or what, what the relationship is one to another. Right, what the measurements mean. Why we what have angles. camber, why we have caster, why we have SAI, why we have included angle, why we have roll center, what all these numbers mean, what all these things mean, how one influences another, and right. so on and so forth. And you'll get a vehicle in that's maybe sitting a little low in the rear, and now the caster is too high. And it's wearing the tires out in the front. And they said, well, caster's not supposed to wear tires. Well, that's true. But excessive caster will produce more toe. And toe does wear. So, right. yeah, if you load the caster up on it, then the toe is going to go heavier. It's going to start eating the inside or outside tires, depending on which way it's going. And that's one of those things that if you don't know that and understand that and know how it all works, then you're just not going to figure that out. Exactly. And there are just a lot, a lot of people out there. And I guess that's true of every single field. But with automobiles, they've just gotten so complex in the last few years. There's tons and tons of people out there who just really don't really know what's going on. Right. They just kind of working at it instead of working with it and understanding how it works. Mm -hmm. That is the biggest thing is understanding how it works so you can know what to adjust and what to, to set right and how to set it to make it work right. That's right. Hey, we got to take one more quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. 
Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know I friended you, but please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen the color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan. Got my co-pilot, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call. It's 499-9526. And 225 in front of that will get you to us from anywhere in the continental United States. And we'd really like to hear some different views on what's going on around the country. That's right. Just give us a call from wherever you may be listening. And just in case you don't get a chance to call in or something maybe occurs to you during the week. That's right. You can get your questions answered on our website. The address is www.agcoauto.com. Just take the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company or a great company. There you go. And the address is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. There's a contact bar on every page. Just fill out the form, send it in, and Lewis will get it back to you within 24 hours. Right. Couldn't be easier. And when you go in and you fill that form out, it's going to ask you know, basic information, your name, so I can know who I'm talking to or uh-huh. who to write to. Uh, ask for email address. And it's going to actually repeat it, of course, so that I can make sure it's typed in correctly. Correct. But once you enter that one time and you send it, it's going to actually you like to retain this information. If you hit yes, then it'll put a little cookie on your machine. So next time, the screen will always be filled out. Exactly. And all, all you, you have, have to do is just, in, just enter the mileage and your complaint and whoop. Send it right to me. So there it makes go. it just even easier. www.agcoauto.com. I think you really like it. And we're going back to the phone lines with Russell. Good morning, Russell. How you doing this morning? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Well, I'm enjoying your conversation on the pulling of the car. Okay. Uh-huh. What about the shimmying? You know, you get sometimes the faster you go, yes, you can feel mm-hmm. shake, vibration yes, of the steering wheel. Great question, you- Russell. And you, one thing that a lot of people confuse a vibration with alignment. The first thing you got to know is that the vibration is never, ever going to be a front end alignment. There's alignment right. does not vibrate. Vibration is always going to be something that is rotating. And I just put a two-part article on the site two weeks ago on vibration, diagnosing vibration, how to tell what is vibration. It gives you a bunch, a bunch of little tests you can run to tell where vibrations are coming from. Uh-huh. You know, certainly... A vibration up around 45, 50, and it's always there, and you don't have to brake, and you don't have to do anything else. You start to suspect wheel balance or bent wheel or not around tire or something. But you've got so many different subtle little variations. For instance, a vibration at the same exact speed, but when you let off the gas, it gets better or goes away. is going to be some type of a driveline problem. So that one little subtle test kind of separates that out for you. Another thing is, a lot of people come in, they'll say, well, I got a vibration at 45 miles an hour, and sure enough, they do, but if you watch the tachometer, the engine will be at, say, 2,000 RPM at that particular speed. You can also sit still with the car and park, bring the engine up to that RPM, and you still got the same vibration. 
So now we know we got something like a Tarkovera out of balance, a harmonic balancer coming apart, or something that doesn't, it's not on a suspension. So that's kind of sort of the way you go about diagnosing vibrations. Mm. And a vibration you're saying is in the steering wheel is kind of a, a point to the front end somewhere. That's because right. everything that's out around in the front end, you're going to feel through the steering wheel. That's right. Whereas if it's in the rear, you're more than likely going to feel it in the seat of the car. The seat or the dash or the sun visor shaking, that's right. more likely a problem in the rear. And Can it be, I'm sorry, that's go ahead. what I was about to say. Can it be connected to maybe a bent Will absolutely or yes sir absolutely uh, out around tire. tire yes, yes sir. sir absolutely and see one way to kind of find that out when i'm looking for a suspension problem i find the speed at which it shakes let's say it's shaking at 50 miles an hour and above or below that is better what i would do is i would take the car up to about say 60 miles an hour put it in neutral and let it coast back down through that range if it still comes in at 50 miles an hour you're into some kind of suspension problem because you've unloaded all of your drivetrain, you know, it's not in gear. The engine RPM is down low, so it's not any kind of engine-related problem. It's not a running problem. It's not any of that. If it's still there on a coast-down test at the same RPM, uh, excuse me, the same, same mile per, per hour, hour, well, then you're into some type of suspension issue, be it a bent wheel, an out-around tire, on and on and on and on, a number of things, you know, that can cause it. The, uh, bent shock. axle flange. No, cannot be a shock. See, a shock doesn't have anything to do it's got, a vibration is something that's rotating gotcha. a shock is not rotating now a shock will make the car bounce up and down but it's not ever going to give you a shimmy or a shake or a vibration it has uh, to be uh, something that's rotating well that's some good info i really appreciate it all right russell thank y'all, y'all thank you sir. yes sir great thank you 499-9526 number if you want to be part of the automotive i would love to have you now you see russell is taking a logical approach he's getting information before he goes start spending money exactly a lot a lot of people you'd be amazed they'll get a vibration in the car first thing they do well maybe it's the shocks okay well you just blew three four five hundred dollars and you took off a shock that probably was as good or better than the one you're putting back on the original equipment shocks are generally very high quality oh yeah bilstein and um, some of the aftermarket stuff you buy is absolute trash even the big brand names that you used to be known (laughs) right they're garbage now yeah maybe really really bad news so you may be putting on a much worse product than what you're taking off i think i kicked two or three of them out last week oh yeah brand new shots absolutely we'll take get cars in they really have handling problems and everything else and we have to go back and take the shocks off and get a better shock and put on it because they put some brand new yeah junk shock or now the car really handles bad exactly Going back to our phone lines with Gil. Good morning, Gil. Good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. Listen, my mother-in-law gave my wife an older Rolls Royce. Okay. And I know that it's difficult to work on. Is there anyone locally that does any work for that? Not that I'm aware of, Gil. The only guy that I knew who was really good on those actually died, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah he was real good at those. He kind of just made it at his life's work. I don't know anyone who really, that I would say, has a lot of experience with them any longer. Sure, there is probably someone out there, but you just need to get on the Internet and go see if there's a forum and then go on that forum and maybe post a request, tell them where you're located and so on and so forth. But the old European stuff is just a, it's an animal all its own. It's different from everything else out there. The last thing in the world you want to do is bring this to a domestic or Asian mechanic and have him go in there because he will just absolutely be lost. Know, uh, those cars are not any, and I don't care how good a mechanic he is. I'm a great mechanic, but I'm Asian and domestic, and I wouldn't even have a clue what to do with that. Okay. So you're going to need to find someone 
who not only has European experience but has old European experience. Mm-hmm. Because it's a very, very peculiar car. Now, one thing you might try, too, Gil, how old a car is it? 1985. Okay, so it's not ancient. I would probably look, I'd probably just Google something like Rolls-Royce service and put Mm -hmm. your zip code or something like that. See what pops up. And you're probably going to find a forum. I mean, there's a forum for every topic in the world. Right. People who have cars that cost that much are generally going to really like those cars. They're going to be really into them, and they're going to probably talk about them a lot. So sure. you'll probably find some really good information. You may have to go to New Orleans. You may have to go somewhere like that. I also knew a guy in Mandeville who used to be real good with those, but he retired and went on to do something else later on. He doesn't fool with me any longer either. So I'm sure there are people around, but I just don't know anybody off the top of my head. I appreciate the information. All right, Gil. Thanks, Thank man. You. Bye-bye. Sure. Alright, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we'd love to have you. Still got a couple of minutes. Try to get a question or two out. There you go. We were talking about folks sending us email and so uh-huh. on and so forth. And got a couple of email here. Uh one from uh Bill in Texas who wrote says he has a Honda Accord 2004 V6. Want to know if it had a timing belt or a chain. Right. And that particular car does still have a timing belt. Okay. And when you have a timing belt, one thing that you have to notice is that not only is it due at X number of miles, in uh-huh. other words, you'll see something like 90,000 miles or whatever, and people only see that. Right. They don't see the seven years right. that goes with it. Almost everyone also has a limit of seven years, and the years are actually more critical than the miles are. Right. That is a rubber-bound component, just like, say, just like a tire. That's right. It's got glued components together. Those components are going to break down over a period of time, mm-hmm. and when they do the item is going to fail. Well, that's right. And if it fails, what happens from there is going to be not pretty. At the very least, it's going to quit running. And at most, if it's an interference-fit motor, which most motors are interference-fit, it's the valves are going to hit the pistons. And if you don't know which, you can actually go on our website now. I just put a list on there of the engines that are interference-fit. Uh-huh. So if you just type in interference fit, it's going to bring you up a list and tell you which engines are and which engines aren't. Great. So good information, and that way you need to be extra careful. Hey, I'll tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to iTunes, give us a written rating. We really enjoy that. Oh, yeah, I really appreciate the written ratings. I think we had 87 of them there. Right. So I'm sure I'd like to get to 90, so give us a rating. We really appreciate it. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Thank mm-hmm. you.